Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter number 19, book of Acts, chapter number 19, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. I just felt an old-fashioned stirring in my spirit here this morning, and so I'm going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 19, and verse 1, and it came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Peter, or said Paul rather, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, They that should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. I want you to look at the question that the Apostle Paul asked these followers of John the Baptist. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And I just want to use as a subject here this morning, just in case, just in case you haven't heard, just in case you haven't heard. Perhaps there's somebody here that hasn't heard about the power of the Holy Ghost. Maybe there's someone here that hasn't heard the message, the Jesus' name message of Jesus' name, baptism, and the unfilling of His Spirit. But I'm telling you, God wants you to hear it. And God wants you to be obedient to it. Praise the Lord. Let's lift up our hands and our voices once again. And let's pray right now that the Lord Jesus would anoint us and bless in this service here today. Would you pray with me, church, Lord? I'm asking you to help us. I'm praying, God, for your blessing to be upon the remainder of this service this morning. We pray for your divine touch, your help, your strength to be here in this place. We thank you, God, for your presence that we've already felt. I'm praying, God, that you would move upon the souls and the hearts of men and women here. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord again? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. This story in the scripture, though it's very familiar to the majority of us apostolics here this morning, I believe it's one of the more riveting stories of the entire book of Acts. Number one, because it emphasizes the importance of the new birth. Not only does it emphasize it, but it illustrates it here in this particular chapter, the importance of the new birth, and it tells us the correct way for a person to be born again. It clears up any confusion that there might be concerning Jesus' name, baptism. It also speaks to us about the necessity of the Holy Ghost. But one of the most striking things to me about this story is the fact that it occurs in Acts chapter 19. It's not in Acts chapter 3, which would be the chapter just following uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and 
the Apostle Peter preaching there about the necessity of repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the unfilling of the Holy Ghost. And on that day, as you know, 3,000 people received the gift of His Spirit. It's not in Acts chapter 5 where we learn about another great revival that took place where the Scripture tells us that as a result of some events that happened, there was 5,000 more that received the wonderful gift of His Spirit. It's not in Acts chapter 9. It's not in Acts chapter 10. But all the way over to Acts chapter 19, when the Apostle Paul poses this question to these disciples of John the Baptist, and he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? I can tell that you're sincere. I can tell that there's a hunger about you. I can tell that you have done all that perhaps you have known to do up until this point. But have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And their reply is almost shocking. They said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. It was not that, no, we've heard about it. It's been preached to us. We've heard some teaching concerning the Holy Ghost. We know uh, about the Holy Ghost and it, it is to come. It's been prophesied about. But we just have not received it. We have not obtained that promise of the Holy Ghost. But the scripture says emphatically that these men stated that they had not even heard that there be any Holy Ghost. Uh, you want to ask, where have you guys been? What, what's been going on for the last several years of your life? We know that you're people that are sincere. We, we understand that you're people that are religious. But apparently you have missed. You've missed some very important events and things that has occurred over the last several years. You understand that now the book of Acts... Uh, it is a history of the church, not over just a few years, but over several years. And by this time, we can, can safely say that this is several years after the original preaching on the day of Pentecost of this message, yet these men had apparently missed it. They had missed the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. They had apparently missed the mighty miracles wrought by the hand of the Lord. They had missed or had not caught the significance of Calvary and the blood of Jesus that was shed so that they could be saved. They had missed the resurrection. They had missed the ascension. And they had missed the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So the question begs to be answered here this morning. How could this be? How could these men go for so long and have not heard about the power of the Holy Ghost? How could they go so long, maybe even in their sincerity, and not ever had the opportunity to receive this wonderful gift of God's Spirit? And I suppose that there are many things that that could be blamed for this. There's many things that could answer this question. There are many things that we could talk about here this morning. And, and I don't pretend to have the answers to the reason why. But as I was praying and looking over these scripture, these were a few things that, that came to mind. Perhaps the reason was is because these men refused to let go of some things. And can I tell you in the great economy of God, to receive anything from God, you first must be willing to relinquish some things. You've got to be willing to release some things. You've got to be willing to let go of some things. You've got to lose your grip on some things. And there's a lot of things that could fit in that blank. There's a lot of things that we could talk about this morning that a person has to relinquish to receive God's promise and God's gift in their life, to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, first of all, you've got to relinquish your will. 
Amen. It can't be all about you. You can't hang on to your pride and receive this wonderful gift of God's Spirit. You can't hold on to just your identity and what you want and your will and receive anything from God. But the essence of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost comes as a result of somebody repenting of their sins, which to me is a perfect example of saying, God, I give it all to you. I'm asking you to forgive me. But repentance is more than just receiving forgiveness from God and asking him to forgive you, but it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. I may have been going down this road in this direction, but God, I'm turning my back on sin. I'm turning my back on the world. I'm turning my back on the things that I used to find so appealing, and I'm going to follow after you, God, because I want your promise in my life. Is there anybody here this morning that wants the Lord to do a work in your heart? You want the Lord to bless you? You want the Lord to give something to you? I'll tell you how you can receive it is to relinquish your will and say, not my will, God, but your will be done. That's when victory comes. That's when deliverance comes. That's when God's help comes. That's when strength comes. That's when God intervenes. Is when we back up, throw up our hands and say, God, I'm not going to try to figure this out on my own. I'm not going to try to do this by myself. I'm not going to continue on in my own self-will. But God, I'm saying whatever you desire... Oh, can I get some help in here today? Whatever you desire, that's what I will do. Praise God. Everybody in this room that's ever received the wonderful gift of God's Spirit, you had to come to an altar just like everybody else and say, God, I repent. You cried hot tears. You you felt a gut-wrenching desire to, to find forgiveness because of that filth and that sin that corrupted your heart. You knew that sin didn't have the answer. You knew that the world didn't have the answer. You knew that you couldn't find help out there. So you stumbled into a church church, uh, wretched and undone, but God fills you with this wonderful gift of his spirit. Praise God. Praise God. None of us are here because we're able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're not here because of anything that we have done. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul said to Titus, he said, it's not by works of righteousness which you have done. But it's by the washing of regeneration. Hallelujah. What's he talking about? He's talking about what I'm preaching about this morning. The power of the Holy Ghost. And he said it's not just a one-time deal, Titus. He said it's by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We don't believe in a once saved, always saved. I was just talking, I think it was Brother Philip just the other day. And... uh, we were discussing how so many people become steeped in the idea that once you ever come to, a, to an altar and give your life to God and, and uh, say the sinner's prayer, whatever it is that they do, and uh, uh, you know, follow the Roman road or whatever it is that they lead you through and you, you repeat after them and all of that, then no matter what you do from that point on, you're saved. You're all right. There's no reason to worry. And I've actually heard preachers preach hell so hot that you could feel the flames. And before their sermon was over, it was like they apologized for everything they had said for the last 30 minutes. And they said, well, I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter if you die on a bar stool, you're still going to be saved if you ever gave your life to God in the first place. Well, I don't believe that because that dismisses so much of the Scripture. The Bible talks about a lost coin. The Bible talks about a prodigal son. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the Bible talks about those that could fall unless they made their calling and their election sure. Hallelujah. So there is the possibility of backsliding. What you going to do with Judas? Amen. What you going to do with Demas? 
Amen. I don't find any place where there's excuses made for them. I don't believe in a once saved, always saved. I don't believe that the Bible teaches a once saved, always saved. Amen. But we're here this morning because we're striving to be saved. And I've said it many times, but let me say it again. I believe in salvation in three tenses. I was saved when I came to an altar, repented of my sins, and was filled with the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. I was saved. Amen. I am saved because I've continued to walk in that that light. I've continued to walk this walk. I've continued to be led of the Spirit. So I am saved. But I believe also that I I will be saved. I said I will be saved if I keep on walking and if I keep on doing what the Bible teaches. The Bible said someday I'm going to hear him say, well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joys of the Lord. Praise God. So I was saved, am saved, and will be saved. We got to keep walking this. We got to keep living this. We got to keep Looking into the word of God. we got to keep hearing the preaching of the word of the Lord in order to be saved. But the only way you can receive anything from God is to relinquish first. Amen. The Bible said deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Hallelujah. That call is so powerful. It has such a magnetism, if I could say it that way, spiritually, that it tells us about men that dropped their nets right where they were and begin to follow the Lord. Didn't even go back to retrieve them. All the money invested, all of the, the time in training to become this fisherman of the sea, and this was a trade of their life, and And they just laid it down to go follow him because he said he would make them fishers of men. There's there's power in that call. If there wasn't power in that call, many of us would still be steeped in sin. Many of us would still be bound by the grasp of addiction. And some of you in this building would still be bound by the hold the devil had on your life. But there's such a power in the call of God. Amen. The Bible says that he's able to call you out of darkness. And he doesn't just call you out, but he brings you into something. He said, I'll call you out of darkness and bring you into this marvelous light. He didn't just call the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, but he said, I got a promise that I want to bring you into. And that's what I'm preaching about tonight. Amen. I'm preaching this morning that he can call you out of sin, but he can bring you in, amen, to the promise and the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, if you believe that, why don't you clap your hands and let's worship the Lord together. So, so what was it? What was it that, that, uh, that these men maybe refused to, to let go of? And I, I just want to touch upon a few things and understand this is just my opinion. And this is what I see in the, in the scripture that could possibility or possibly be uh, the reason why. Uh, that these men uh, refused to let go. Number one was John the Baptist himself. You understand that John the Baptist was a very powerful personality. Uh, The the Bible tells us that they would come out of the cities into the wilderness of Judea to hear him preach. Even Herod himself was known to have his chariot driven out to the edge of the crowds and the multitudes that would gather about John as he preached so that he could hear the preaching of John the Baptist. He baptized hundreds in the wilderness. And he had quite a following, a very powerful, magnetic personality. No doubt a man that was to be reckoned with. He was eccentric, yet must have possessed somewhat of a charisma. I believe it was the anointing of God that was upon him. He was a forerunner for Jesus Christ. This was someone that they dearly loved. And to leave him and embrace someone else would leave them with a feeling uh, maybe they were a little bit of uh, conflicted about this and this decision 
to leave behind John and to embrace someone else. And you know, this is no different than a lot of people today. I find that, that every family, every group of people, and it doesn't matter, it transcends every culture, that there is someone that, that uh, is, is maybe a leader in that family. And sometimes that particular person can be uh, religious of sorts and have somewhat of an understanding, many times enough to be dangerous, but an understanding of the Word of God. And, and, uh, and they have a belief system that they adhere to. And, and the family has, has espoused to their doctrine and their belief system and embraced it. Whatever church that they attend, whatever doctrine and creed that they embrace, that's what the rest of everyone does. And they just follow suit behind that. And this person is a looming figure, perhaps, in that particular family. And to follow after whatever it is that God is calling a person into would mean to deny that person and to disrespect them, at least in our minds sometimes. It would be disrespectful for me uh, to walk away from that uh, because I have been introduced to more truth or I have, it's been preached to me that there's things that I need to be obedient to and I need to receive from God that I haven't received just yet. Maybe revelation comes and, and you're brought to a decision point that I, I have to respond. I have to, I have to do something with what the Lord has revealed to me, let me tell you something. When God gives you revelation, when God gives you understanding, the Bible said that when the spirit of truth is come, it will lead you and guide you into all truth. Praise the Lord. And when you start down this path, you need to yield. You need to surrender yourself. You need to not worry about uh, offending someone because the Bible said to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Nobody's going to stand beside you on judgment day. Nobody else is going to give an account for your life but you. Amen. Nobody else is going to stand in your place. Nobody else is going to spend an eternity with you necessarily. You're going to be saved by your own choices, your own deeds, your own decisions, your own action or inaction. It's going to determine whether or not you're saved or lost. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Uh, so uh, we understand that, that sometimes you can have people in your family, they're, they're good people, they're honest people, people of integrity, people of character. And you could say in your mind, how could they possibly be lost? I, I'm just going to tell you from my own personal perspective, I had grandparents on my father's side. To me, they were heroes. To me, my grandfather, uh, his, his mother died when he was nine years old. When he was, I think, 12 or 13, he left home. He became a part of the, the CC camps back in the World War II era and uh, many of these big fire towers that you see in that part of the country uh, where he was at. Uh, he, he helped build them. Uh, they gave him a place to live. He'd work for them every day. And he went from place to place. They paid for his education. And uh, he, he went as far as he could. Matter of fact, when he reached the last grade level that he could in the area where he was living, uh, he so desired to, to, to learn and to go to school that, that he took that grade not because he had failed previously, but he just took that grade over again. I remember when I was in high school, uh, this man that only had a ninth grade education was helping me with my algebra. And... Uh, and this had been 40, 50 years since he had even been in school. So this was a very intelligent man, even though he was limited as far as his formal education was concerned. He was a man that was uh, very driven, and he went on to be an inspector for McDonnell Douglas Airline or Aircraft Company there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, my grandmother went on to be uh, part of the staff in a hospital and worked there until her retirement. And these people were very disciplined and godly as far as 
the eye could see. I mean, they did not have a revelation of truth that you and I have, but as far as a clean life and a wholesome life, uh, they, they endeavored to live uh, as clean as they possibly could. And uh, I, I remember in their home, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, find anything. Uh, they were not people that, that drank booze. They were not people that, that uh, used inappropriate language. They just, I mean, they were, they were good folks. But as far as I am aware of, and throughout my life, uh, they would come and hear me preach when I became a preacher and started evangelizing. Uh, they would come and, and hear uh, us preach in our revivals. And, and as far as I know, many times they would come to the altar. They would respond politely. But they never, ever responded to the message of Jesus' name baptism and the unfilling of the Holy Ghost. And we, we tried to convince them, tried to talk to them about it. Good people. And it's hard for me to stand on this platform and announce to this congregation this morning that do I believe that my grandparents were lost? I do believe that they were lost because they never obeyed this Acts 2.38 message as far as I know. They never were baptized in Jesus' name. They never received the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. I, I, I don't understand all the whys and the how comes, but I can tell you, except you're obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot and will not be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. I said, that's what the Bible teaches. As much as I love them, as much as I cared for them, as heroic as they were in my eyes, I still believe that they were lost because they were not obedient. Obedient to the gospel. What shall the end be, the writer said, to them that are uh, not obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, there's only one conclusion. Amen. When you are not obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no exceptions. There's been a lot of good people, a lot of sincere people that have died lost without God. Amen. But you have an opportunity here today. I said, you have a chance here this morning to receive. Receive this wonderful message of truth. But can I say it this way? You've got to be willing to relinquish any influence. You've got to be willing to relinquish any attachment and say, you know what? I cannot answer for my grandparents. I can't answer for my mom or my dad. I can't answer for anybody else. I'm not going to stand instead for my cousin or my brother or my sister, but I'm standing answering for myself. I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. God, amen, I've got to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus called some people to follow him one time. And one of them said, there's been a death, you understand. And after I get through taking care of this, and, and after this is done, and after the tradition is met, then I'll, I'll come and follow you. Let me go take care of this situation. And Jesus replied something that seemed so cold. It, it, it seemed callous. It seemed very, very ununderstanding, if I could say it that way. I mean, it, it, is, it seemed like he didn't understand. It wasn't very understanding at all. Maybe that's a more appropriate way to say it. This wasn't very understanding at all. He said, let the dead bury the dead and come follow me. Jesus, that seems so callous of you to say that. How could you be so cold-hearted as to say that to somebody? Let the dead bury the dead. What he was actually trying to teach us is, is there's some things you can't do anything about. There's some things you can't change. There's some things that once they're done, you cannot alter them. What you've got to do is go forward. You've got to go forward. With what you know and what you understand and follow the call of God upon your life. Amen. Let, let the dead bury the dead. Let, let, you know, somebody said, what, what about grandpa? What about grandma? I'm going to put them in the hands of God. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to follow what the Lord has told me that I need to do according to his word. Oh, clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together. Number, number two, the, the thing that they could have been hindered by or 
perhaps were holding on to was tradition. This is what they had been taught. Now, as I've already said, John was a marvelous preacher, teacher, powerful in conveying the message that he had, which at that time was the message of the hour. And it was emphatic. It was powerful. It was something that was riveting. It was attention-grabbing. And it had been pounded into their heart by this great man of God. But we understand that over time, John was just a forerunner. He was just one announcing better things to come. He was just one that was fulfilling a role for a short period of time. And he himself said, don't look on me, but look at the one that's coming after me who is mightier than I. As great as John was, he said, there's somebody that's coming after me who is mightier than I. And his message is going to be greater than the message that I'm preaching. His message is not just going to be one under repentance, but he's going to preach a message of repentance, but also of resurrection and power. He's going to introduce to you the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that get trapped in tradition. They try and endeavor to live righteously and good without the Holy Ghost. Let me just tell you something. That's impossible. It doesn't matter how good you are, what kind of character you have. It doesn't matter how perfect you think you are. We're all born in sin and shaping in iniquity, and we're all prone to fail. And given enough time, if we was to, uh, to follow you around, we'd find something that was imperfect about you. And the majority of the time, we wouldn't have to look long. I don't mean to put a pin in your balloon this morning. But we wouldn't have to investigate much to find some imperfection, find some area that you, you come up short in. But he said, there's one that's coming after me who's mightier than I. And we're not preaching and teaching this morning, trying to tear down anything that you've been taught that might have been right, because we do believe in faith towards God. We just don't believe you stop there. Amen. It takes faith to please God. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Does anybody believe that he is God? The Bible said if you don't believe, you'll die in your sins. So we do believe in faith towards God. But we just don't stop there. We believe in repentance. We believe that that faith towards God helps us to realize that we are sinners and we need God. We need God's intervention. We need his we need his redemptive power in our lives. And so realizing that he's God and we're not, we realize we've got to repent of our sins. We acknowledge that you've got to repent. I don't know where we got it. I don't know where it came from. But there has been, it seems like a trend of rushing people through the process of repentance. As though it is not important. And come on, let's get on to the main deal. The Holy Ghost. And I realize that the Holy Ghost is wonderful. And I, I'm not taken away from the experience of the Holy Ghost. And I'm not taken away from the importance and the essentiality of the Holy Ghost. But let me just tell you, you cannot receive the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. You cannot experience the Holy Ghost except you repent. My Bible said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's not my words, but that's Jesus' words. So you got to repent. you got to come and humble yourself in repentance. It doesn't necessarily mean just these wooden benches up here. It could be anywhere in this building where your heart finds an altar and you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm turning away from that. I don't want to be that anymore. I repent. Come on, you need to say those words. Even if you're an apostolic that's been in the church ever since you was knee-high to a grasshopper, you need to often come before God and say, I repent. Humble yourself. Because my Bible says that he resisteth the proud but gives grace. Oh, he said that one that is going to humble themselves before me. I can't cast them out. 
He said, a humble and contrite spirit, I can't cast them away. There's something that I gravitate to when there's someone that is humble before me. Praise God. And so, we're not tearing down faith. We're not tearing down repentance from sin. Matter of fact, we believe in it. And we, we believe it's necessary. But just don't stop there. John preached repentance. But John, again, was a forerunner. He said, there's more. There's more. The time is coming. You're not going to stop here. But there's more. Don't get stopped in tradition. Don't get bogged down in tradition. Don't get bogged down in what Sister Susie said and what, what, what Brother So-and-So said and what the, the guru on the radio said or, or one of them other deals. Don't, don't get bogged down in all that. Oh, don't, don't let your internet, internet preacher deceive you and, and convince you of something else. You better get your nose in the book. You, you better understand. This is, I got to search out my own. I can't depend on everybody else and what they say. I got to get my nose in the book. I got to find out what God says in his word. What it takes for me to be saved. Because this is a, this is a deal that I don't get to back up and rewind and reset and redo. This is a one time run. And I got to get it right. Oh, I got to get it right. Hey Amen. I wouldn't want to take chances and gamble and roll dice with my salvation not on your life. I want to get it right. I said, I want to get it right. I've got to repent. I've got to get it right. I've got to get an altar and, and get, get prayed through. I've got to get it right. Hey Amen. I've got to get down there and, and find out what it takes. I've got to get in that baptistry and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because that's the only name that is going to remit sin in my life. Come on, you've heard about people that had cancer going into remission. The Bible talks about sin going into remission when you're baptized in the name of Jesus. You got a cancer when you got sin eating on you. You got a cancer that's going to destroy you in time. It's going to take the life out of you. It's going to destroy your family, your home. It's going to ultimately damn your soul to hell. But thank God there is a remedy. Thank God it can go in remission today. When you step into those waters and are baptized in the name of Jesus. Hey, I'm still thrilled about this message of truth. I'm still excited. I, I still get exuberant. I, I still can't help myself because this is what set me free. This is what changed my life. This is what severed the chains of darkness. Some people stumble over it. Romans 9, 32 for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. And as, as it is written, Behold, I have laid in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Yeah. They stumble on things they should be stepping on and using as a stepping stone to advance them towards God. They stumble over it. Yeah. Well, if I that, if I go with that, if I believe that, if I really open my heart to that, that would mean that I've been wrong all this time. Yeah. Oh, you need to relinquish your pride. I said you need to relinquish your pride and say, God, I'm not interested in being right. I'm interested in being saved. I'm not interested in Protecting my persona and my, my identity. I'm interested in taking on your identity and being saved. I want to be right with you. Praise the Lord. I'm not interested in winning the debate. I'm interested in being correct. Because again, I can't take chances with this. So tradition. The third. Often it's hurts. John, their beloved leader, had been arrested. Not only arrested in prison and felt all alone, but he sent some of these fellows to go ask Jesus. Is that who he says he is or do we look for another? Go ask him. Ultimately, John was beheaded. And these loyal followers 
saw no deliverance for John. They were left with questions as to why this would happen or be played out like this. And justifiably so, they felt hurt by Jesus' remark to them. Again, it seemed a little callous. He said, just go tell him. He didn't answer. He didn't even give them the answer that they were looking for necessarily. He said, you just go tell him the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, the deaf hear, the dumb talk, the lame are walking. And if that doesn't convince them, what else could convince him? That I am who I say I am. So you just go tell him things that you've seen and heard. But no deliverance for John. He didn't escape the prison. He didn't escape the guillotine. He died a martyr's death. And these followers are left with the questions of why this hurt? Why that we love John? Why this pain? Why did we have to go through this? Why did we have to suffer this? Why did this have to happen to me? Why do I have to endure this? And can I tell you, if you're not careful, you can wallow in your hurt and your pain and your suffering and miss some tremendous blessings that God has for you. Because everybody, the Bible said offenses will come. It didn't say they may come. It said they will. You bet your life on it. They will come. They will come. Everybody say, will come. They're going to come to everybody in this house. Nobody's going to escape it. It's going to happen. You're going to have hurt. You're going to have pain. Why? Because you live in a world filled with sin. Why does bad things happen to good people? I don't understand it necessarily, but I know it's a result of sin that is running rampant in our world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And sin has wages. Sin has payment. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Thankful that for every, everything that, that the devil comes against us to vanquish us with, that the Lord has a countering virtue. That he said, yeah, there may be death for sin, but let me tell you something. I've got a gift that will bring life to you. Life eternal. Amen. That will give hope to you. That will help you. That will help you to stand up again. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. But you got a choice. Everybody in this room has a choice to make. The only thing Jesus said in regards to John was, Blessed is he that is not offended in me. You want the blessing is what he said. You've got to stay unoffended. You've got to keep from being offended or continuing in being offended. You've got to get that under the blood. You've got to relinquish that hurt. You've got to let that go and say, blessed is he that is not offended things that God's doing, I can't question. I just got to follow suit and got to yield my heart to God and open myself to Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You want God to bless you? Does anybody here want the blessings of the Lord? You want the favor of God? You got to let that go. You can't hold on to that. You can't let that fester. You can't let that grow in you. You can't let that thing eat on you. You can't let what happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. You can't let some little misunderstanding. Most time, misunderstandings and situations happen and the other person that's involved, they're not even aware of it. They don't even know they stepped on your toe. They don't even know that you're feeling those things. They're not aware of They're not living it every day like you are. They don't have it like an albatross across their neck like you do. They're not coming to church with a puffed up attitude, swolled up like a bullfrog saying, Oh, I, I'm going to get them when I get a chance. You're the one that's suffering 
You're the one that's missing out on the blessings. God has so many blessings. God has so much favor. God has so many good things that he wants to give you. Why would you let some little, little small offense stand in your way of the blessings of God? You better let it go and say, God, I need your favor. I need your help. I need your blessing in my life. Why don't you stand with me, throw your hands in the air and say, God, I relinquish everything. I suppose the most powerful, powerful statement in this story is found in verse 5. It said that when they heard this, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they heard this, They were baptized. Amen. There wasn't a long pause. There wasn't a 10, 15 week Bible study. There wasn't a debate that was set up between their head man and the other guy's head man. No, no. They said, when we heard this, we need to get baptized in Jesus' name. There's no question. You see, the longer you debate and the longer you discuss and the longer you put it up for procrastination and you you put it off to some other day and you say, I'm going to wait and I'm going to hesitate next Sunday, next week, next month, next year. The longer you wait, the longer you're putting off the blessing in your life. The longer you're putting off good things that God wants to give you. The longer you're holding up progress. The longer that you're keeping yourself from experiencing total freedom and power in the Holy Ghost. He said, if what you're preaching is truth, we're going to get baptized in Jesus' name. He said, that's not it, fellas. Amen. I ask you what, what you've been baptized in. Amen. That tells me that there is only one way to be baptized. Somebody said, well, I got baptized in the first church of the frigid air and and this is how they did it, and I guess God will dishonor that. No, 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 no. It's not a matter of just semantics. It's not a matter of just terminology. It doesn't matter how you were baptized. You need to be baptized in the name. Get your prideful self down to that water. Get yourself in that baptismal tank and say, Preacher, what's more important than my pride is me being saved. I got to get baptized in Jesus' name. He said, That's not it, man. We started out talking about the Holy Ghost. Let me just tell you, the Holy Ghost is for you, fellas. And it doesn't have to happen like this, but many times it may. Because most of us received the Holy Ghost when people was praying with us. But I've heard of people getting the Holy Ghost when they went home and got down beside their bed and said, Lord, I, I didn't get it tonight in the altar, but I believe you can give it to me right here in my own bedroom. And God gave them the Holy Ghost. But Paul laid hands on them and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy, they got the Holy Ghost. Just like everybody gets the Holy Ghost. The sign of the Holy Ghost is that you will speak in other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives you the utterance. Why is that? Because James said the most unruly member of your body is your tongue. And when God has control of that, He has control of you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lots of people have trouble controlling that that one little muscle called the tongue. That's right. I've had people over years tell me, I can't come to church, but my whole hips are bothering me. Oh, cold weather sets in, man. It it goes right straight to my my old bad hip. I I can't make it to church. I've had them call in. I've had this or that wrong, got a bad heart, and I can't make it. uh, I got a, I got a bad ankle. I can't make. Got a bad knee. Can't make. Got this. Got that. But I've never had anybody call me and said, "Man, brother Calhoun, my old tongue's just wore out." 
but I'm not going to make it to church this morning. Something about that joker, it stays healthy. It stays strong. And it keeps on going. It's an energizer. Hallelujah. But when God gets control of the tongue, he has control of you. Hallelujah. I said, when he has control of the tongue, he has control of you. That's why he chose. Amen. Now, is speaking in tongues, is that in and of itself the Holy Ghost? No, it's the sign of the Holy Ghost or evidence, as we like to say, of the Holy Ghost. When you got the Holy Ghost, it's going to be evident by you speaking in tongues. That means that, that he has you. He, he, he has become the Lord of this earthly temple. When I begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit, you know, that is the sign. Amen. That is the initial sign. Oh, I'm going I'm to get some of you right here. That is the initial sign. But the Bible did talk about some fruit that you better start bearing once you get this Holy Ghost. And we like everybody to stop preaching about right there and give the altar call because we don't want to talk about that fruit. We don't want to talk about things that you need to be portraying and the character that you need to have. And when you got the Holy Ghost, it's going to change your walk. It's going to change your talk. It's going to change your, your philosophy and way of life. It's going to change everything about you when you get the Holy Ghost. So I stand up this morning to tell somebody in this house, uh, just in case you hadn't heard, the Holy Ghost is still for you today. The Holy Ghost is still being poured out in 2014. It's not, a, it's not something of yesteryear. It's for today. It's old, yet it's new. It's powerful, yet it's true. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. Does anybody want the Holy Ghost? Does anybody want to be renewed in the Holy Ghost? Anybody want the Lord to touch you again in the power of the Holy Ghost? Anybody want God to bless you again in the power of the Holy Ghost? I'm inviting everybody to this altar. Let's all come down here because those that don't need the Holy Ghost need a renewing in the Holy Ghost. All of us need the Holy Ghost in our lives every day, every day, every day, every day. Let's, let's sing something about the Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come around this altar. Lift up those hands to God. Say, Lord, I need you to renew me. I need you to restore me. I need you to do something brand new in my heart. I want you to refresh me again. I want you to touch me brand new again.